Welcome to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Wishing you the happiest of holidays. This is season to be married. This is Steve Z and the Truth Hurts program. Did you know that by law, the Department of Homeland Security cannot deport any illegal, criminal, law-breaking, trespassing, invading migrant that is applying for asylum until a judge orders them removed? In non-detention-related cases, those who are being caught and released, not put in detention, it takes years, sometimes a decade or more. And that time, those aliens can live and work here while acquiring equities. You know, houses, cars, children. This will make it even more difficult to send them back to their countries of origin. The only way to make the system work is to limit the number of new aliens entering the country, both legally and illegally. And the only way to curb illegal entries is detention, where cases take 42 days on average. But President Biden largely refuses to detain illegal migrants, even though the law mandates that he do so. Will it change under the remainder of the Biden administration? No, of course not. But can it even change once Trump is reelected? Time will tell, but the damage is already done. Damage to the tune of up to 181 million illegals already in this country. Oh, sure, the Democrats, the liberals, the progressives, they claim it's somewhere between 11 million and 30 million. But as we have pointed out here, using the facts, it is way, way more than that. Moving on, how did the University of Pennsylvania get away with firing their female president while Harvard University refuses to get rid of their female president? Well, the color of one's skin probably played a big part. After all, both women did the same thing, condoned and even supported the anti-Semitism on their respective campus locations. Ah, the reality of the race card rears its ugly head yet once again. Both institutions, plus MIT, did the same disgusting, disparaging, despicable things. The question still remains. Why did the University of Pennsylvania hold their white female president, Liz McGill, to a higher standard than Harvard is holding their black female president, Claudine Gay? Both presidents were guilty of indulging anti-Semitism on campus, both credibly accused of equivocating on what should have been a straightforward response to the October 7th terrorist attacks in Israel, and both embarrassing their institutions while testifying before Congress. Miss McGill was shown the door, yet Miss Gay has managed to keep her job. Now, you don't need a Harvard degree to understand that Miss Gay, the school's first Blafrican American 13% hyphenated minority president, advances the diversity imperatives of her institution in ways that Miss McGill, who is white, could not possibly do. Anyone suggesting that Miss Gay deserves the same treatment as Miss McGill stands accused of racism by the liberal elites who maintain that all black people not named Clarence Thomas are simply off limits to criticism. The head of the National Association for the Advancement of Liberal Colored People, the NAACP, Derek Johnson, insisted that disapproval of Miss Gay's leadership at Harvard is, quote, nothing more than political theatrics advancing a white supremacist agenda. 
more than 80 black faculty members at Harvard signed a letter stating that any suggestion that her selection as president was the result of a process that elevated an unqualified person based on considerations of race and gender, are specious and politically motivated. We all know why she was put in that position. We all know it was to satisfy a checkbox or two on a diversity, equity, and inclusiveness list. We all know that there were far more superior intellects that could be running Harvard. Anyone who has a Harvard degree from now or even in the past should likely just wad it up and use it as toilet tissue because that is what a degree at Harvard is worth, in my opinion. Meanwhile, Miss Gay's defenders pretend that her qualifications for the job are indisputable and that her hiring had nothing to do with race. We know that's bullshit. It's baloney. They know it. Bill Ackman, the famous hedge fund manager and Harvard mega donor who has led calls for the ouster of Miss Gay, said he was told that the search committee that chose Miss Gay would not consider any candidate who did not meet the DEI office's criteria. That's a direct quote, using the acronym, of course, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. There's little reason to doubt him, and if I were him, I'd stop donating to Harvard. Earlier this year, the Supreme Court scolded Harvard for using racial preferences to admit students. Why wouldn't it have been doing the same thing to hire faculty, staff, and administrators? The answer is quite obvious and simple quota hiring, and playing of the race card. Are you a minority looking for a job, but you don't have the education, experience, or skills to actually do the job you're applying for? Are you a person envious of the successes of your white and Asian counterparts? Are you truly ashamed and embarrassed about the way you speak, the way you look, and the way you act in public? Are you seeking a handout, not a hand up? Do you want an advantage instead of an equal playing field? If you answered yes to any or all of these questions, you need to play the race card. The all new race card is a deck of 52 custom designed playing cards that you can use anytime you need to gain an un fair advantage at work at the playground in society or anywhere that you feel inferior to the white man each deck of race cards contains four suits and two jokers play the light-skinned jack or the mocha skin queen or even the dark-skinned umchaka warrior king card or if nobody's laughing at your jokes because they can't understand what you're trying to pronounce you can play a joker every day is a 10 when you play the race card Play the race card on job interviews, when you want to get onto a sports team, or when you get caught robbing a liquor store, or just when you're trying to fit in with the rest of American society. Each race card comes with a government-backed guarantee. If you don't get your way by playing the race card, the Biden-Harris administration will use the U.S. Department of Justice to make sure you are properly pandered to. Order your deck of 52 race cards today by logging on to DemocratAA.com. That's DemocratAA.com. If you're a member of the LGBTQIA3 plus question mark alphabet soup crowd, and you don't fit in, but you really, really want to. If you're a tattooed, pierced, modified cross-dresser with a chip on your shoulder, if you have difficulty engaging in social conformity, or you're seeking a handout, not a hand up, you too can play the LGBTQ plus version of the race card. Race cards are not available to white people, Asians, or other successful people who speak the English language properly, dress in a conforming manner, and do the right thing. Meanwhile, over at the White House, Biden might be thinking he's fooling the dumber half of the American population, and indeed with at least 30% of them still saying they support the old guy, he is still managing to fool some stupid Americans. But many Americans are actually getting wiser, getting smarter, more educated, more informed, more enlightened, more exposed to the truth, the facts, the 
cold, ugly truth that their wallets are more empty, their savings accounts are drained, their credit card bills have risen, there's no money at the end of the paycheck for the fun things they did just a few short years ago before Joe Biden was the president. Joe Biden is strategically recalibrating his approach to immigration, opting for a more conservative stance ahead of an election in order to try and trick the dumber people into thinking he's actually going to do something about the giant mess that he, Joe Biden himself, has created. Now he might be fooling one or two dummies out there in the urban centers of the country, but he's really pissing off his progressive liberal woke base. He's drawing significant criticism as this new maneuver is challenging to what he has tried to do for the last three years. Sneak in as many millions of illegal criminal law-breaking, trespassing, invading migrants as possible, hoping praying that they will vote Democrat in the upcoming election. In a calculated political maneuver, Biden, through his puppet masters, is making a pivot towards the right slightly on immigration. In exchange, he's begging for more hush money for the Ukraine so that they will continue keeping his dirty little family secrets about all of the tens of millions of dollars that the Biden crime family has made from sneaky, shady deals in the Ukraine. He's navigating a political landscape that is quite complex. He's shifting towards a more conservative stance on immigration as part of a broader strategy to gain additional financial support for the people who are obviously blackmailing him from the Ukraine. We, the intelligent, thought-provoking, conservative, mainstream, Republican base, see right through your scheme, gropey Joe. Biden's pivot on immigration is being met with discontent and anger from his liberal, woke, progressive base. Those progressive voices within the Democratic Party, like the Muslims in the squad, are expressing deep dissatisfaction with Biden's new so-called immigration strategy. There are growing concerns that supporters may find it challenging to campaign for Biden without being able to reconcile differences on his new immigration policies, which, strangely enough, mirror those of Donald Trump. Trump's increasingly harsh language on illegal immigrants is driving Republicans farther to the right, complicating the search for the vast middle ground that I always speak to you about here on the Truth Hurts program. The influence of Donald Trump remains potent, and his harsh rhetoric continues to shape the Republicans' perspectives on illegal immigration, the crisis created by Joe Biden. The dynamic complicates the ongoing efforts to find common ground, with Republicans advocating for stricter measures in response to massive surges of illegals at our southern border. Despite concerted efforts, senators are struggling to finalize a bipartisan deal to reconcile the differing priorities of Democrats and Republicans. Senate Majority Leader Chuckles the Clown Schumer's decision to extend the holiday break underscores the complexity of the negotiations, leaving significant questions unanswered as all the lawmakers went home to their own districts. Despite those concerted efforts, we here at the Truth Hurts program see right through the ruse. It's not like these politicians don't make enough money or don't have enough government paid time off as it is. 
The entire scheme of Chuckles the Clown Schumer is designed, engineered, and implemented to fool many Americans into thinking that Joe has suddenly seen the light on his disaster at the southern border, on his ridiculous immigration policies, and that suddenly he's trying to fix it. But the pesky Republicans won't let him. That's the message he's trying to send. I want to fix immigration. I need to fix immigration. But the Republicans are standing in the way. We see right through your lies, Gropey Joe. It's total BS. We know it, they know it, and they know that we know it. But the dumber portion of the population, the ones with the large flashing D hanging around their necks, they don't understand it yet. House Republicans are adamant about introducing dramatic changes to U.S. immigration policy, and this demand will further complicate the challenging task of finding common ground between the two political parties. Meanwhile, the woke stroke joke bloke John Fetterman, the Democrat from Pennsylvania, is distancing himself from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, particularly due to his support for Israel and for a stronger immigration policy. He's not going to make Gropey Joe happy, but maybe the stroke is going to be his self-defense mechanism. After all, Biden and the other Democrats couldn't possibly begin now to bash Fetterman for being out of his mind due to a stroke because they claimed he was so fit for office when he was running. Fetterman is emphasizing his commitment to the Democratic Party, but his stance on issues such as immigration and Israel are making it difficult for Democrats to continue to accept him. He's recently expressed concerns about Biden's border crisis and the need to address it effectively and immediately. His statements have left no doubt in my mind that he has pissed off his buddies in the squad and the radical progressive leftists in the Democratic Party that supported his campaign. And strangely enough, Fetterman is emerging as more of a centrist Democrat. This has people wondering if his stroke has affected him professionally, a question I have been asking since day one. John Fetterman, the Democrat, the stroke victim, said, and I quote, It's a reasonable conversation until someone can say there's an explanation on what we can do when 270,000 people are being encountered on the border, not including the ones, of course, that we don't know about. To put that in reference, he said, that's essentially the size of Pittsburgh, the second largest city in Pennsylvania. Progressives better do that because we can't leave Israel. We can't sell them out and we can't sell Ukraine out and we have to deliver on this. I would very much just like to get a deal to deliver this critical aid. He then criticized Senator Bob Menendez and called for Bob Menendez's expulsion from the Senate due to bribery charges being brought against him. He said of Menendez, quote, I don't understand why he can be here having expelled Santos, the Republican, but I'm sure there might be a very innocent explanation of having gold bars in your mattress and overstuffed envelopes of cash. See, Fetterman's no idiot. He's just a stroke victim and he's a Democrat. But it seems like he is trying to go right down the middle of America to that vast middle ground that I often talk about. Fetterman stressed the importance of delivering aid packages to Ukraine and Israel, despite concerns about attaching this issue to border and immigration problems created by Joe Biden. He sees the double standard. He is willing to speak about the double standard. The question is, will the liberal mainstream leftist progressive woke media 
dare to speak about the double standard. You're listening, of course, to the Truth Hurts program. Counting it down to the new year. Happy New Year. This is Steve C. and the Truth Hurts program. Title 18, U.S. Code Section 2381, which says, When in the presence of two witnesses to the same overt act, or in an open court of law, if you fail to timely move to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and honor your oath of office, you are subject to the charge of capital felony treason, and upon conviction, you will be taken by the posse to the nearest busy intersection and at high noon, hung by the neck until dead. And so currently, the film and television actor John Schneider Mr. Schneider is supposedly under investigation by the U.S. Secret Service for alleged threats against President Biden because he called Biden a traitor. Hmm. Silencing the opposition much? John Schneider, who, by the way, made a wonderful movie last year called To Die For. It's a patriotic movie. The former Hollywood star turned Louisiana transplant has decided that the American flag, the cause of patriotism, conservatism, American values, were worth investing large sums of his own cash into making this movie called To Die For. Actually, it was a really great movie, and it was a lower-budget movie because Hollywood refused to play along. The new film To Die For focuses on the flag where patriotism takes a front seat. For this movie, the former Hollywood star turned Louisiana transplant isn't driving a General Lee. He's driving a beat-up El Camino. In the bed of the car-truck hybrid rides his co-star, a giant American flag waving from a very tall flagpole. Never one to keep his allegiance under his red, white, and blue hat, the actor, singer, writer, and producer John Schneider had one reaction after reading a news report of a man arrested for driving around with the American flag in the back of his pickup truck. John Schneider says, I knew I wanted to make a movie about that and expand on it, but I wanted to make a movie about that guy. I wanted to play that guy. And I wanted the movie to come out before those midterm elections, so it's great when the plan came together. Schneider is a 62-year-old who plays the headstrong, hard-drinking gunnery sergeant Quentin North. When a high school football star takes a knee during the national anthem, Quint sees it not only as disrespect to the American flag, but to those who lost their lives protecting it. It prompts the making of his traveling flag display. He takes regular trips into town. He makes a point to swing around the parking circle in the front of the high school where the American flag is no longer flown due to a school board ruling. But as Quint's quest dominates his every waking hour, how far will he take it? To Die For has been viewed in 17 countries and received media attention from three national conservative news networks but unfortunately, never the mainstream media in the United States. I encourage you to see the movie. It is really a good movie. There's also a movie out right now. It's out on the Amazon Prime Video Network, but it's called Run, Hide, Fight. If you've uh, taken any active shooter training, as I have, I've been mandated to take it, and I volunteered to take it, and I've participated as an active instructor in some of the Uh, active shooter training with the federal government recently, you are told, you are instructed that in case an active shooter enters your school, your church, your office building, your grocery store, your shopping mall, any building, your first thing you should be thinking of is running away. Run. Get out. Escape. Make sure you're not a target. Run. 
If you can't run, if you can't find an exit, if you can't escape, the active shooter training classes tell you to hide. Hide. Find a place to cower down and don't make a sound. And don't make yourself seen or you could be shot. The final action, they say, is fight. If you have the training, if you have the ability, if you have the guts, then you can go and fight the active shooter. You might end up dying, but then again, you might end up dying trying to run away or hiding. My own personal views on run, hide, fight, the technique, not the movie, because I haven't seen it yet, but my own personal views are, they are encouraging you, the sheeple, to run like cowards. Run away, run away, I heard pow, pow, pow in the building. And then hide, hide in a closet, hide like a coward. They don't emphasize doing what the brave passengers on Flight 93 did in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. While the other planes, the 9-11 attack, flew into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon and killed people, the people on Flight 93 took over the hostage takers, took over the hijackers. They fought and they kept that plane from crashing into the U.S. Capitol or the White House. We will never know what the eventual destination of Flight 93 was. We do know that it landed in an empty field or crashed in an empty field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania because of the bravery of passengers who chose to not hide. They chose instead to fight. So the new movie coming out is about a young girl who during an active shooter situation in her own high school, starts to run. She actually gets out of the building. And then, in another scene, she's seen warning other students, don't go in there, there's an active shooter situation. And then she gets pissed. And then she, with more courage than the local blue line gang, the local cops, she puts an end to the active shooter situation. I highly encourage each and every one of you to see the John Schneider film To Die For, to bolster your patriotism, and then seek out this movie Run, Hide, Fight. Watch that movie as well. It will make you once again, at least for that hour, hour and a half, proud to be an American. This is the Truth Hurts program. Sorry, I got a little off topic there, my friends, talking about the John Schneider movie and the new movie called Run, Hide, Fight. My point my entire point for bringing that topic up was because there are a few things I wanted you to hear and I thought you would find them very important. Let me play something else for you and this comes back from the 1950s. I am very tired of hearing people say, but we're a democracy, but we're a democracy. The United States is a democracy. We're not. It's a farce, it's a sham, it's a scam, it's a swindle, it's a lie. We have never been a democracy in this country. And I'm going to play something for you that explains the whole notion of a democracy and why we, the United States of America, never have been and never will be, unless of course things continue to go the way they're going, be a democracy. A constitutional republic, not a democracy. The ideal of a democracy is universal equality. The ideal of a constitutional republic is individual liberty. A democracy always degenerates into dictatorship, which promises government-guaranteed equality and security, but it delivers nothing but poverty and serfdom for the people it robs and rules. America was founded as a constitutional republic to safeguard the liberties of the people against the tyranny of democracy or of one-man dictatorship. In this century, great strides have been made toward the goal of subverting our republic into a democracy, 
The foremost tactic of the subverters is subversion of language. By calling America a democracy until people thoughtlessly accept and use the term, the totalitarians have obscured the real meaning of our principles of government. A constitutional republic, not a democracy. Now the reason that sounded like something from way, way back is because that was a broadcast number 556 from the Von Smoot Report. Dan Smoot of Dallas, Texas on April 18th, 1966, when I was but a three-year-old lad in Dallas, Texas. Dan Smoot wrote, Constitutional Republic, not a democracy. A democracy is a political system in which the people periodically, by majority vote at the polls, select their rulers. The rulers then have absolute power to make whatever laws they please by majority vote among themselves. In a constitutional republic, the people also, by majority, vote at the polls, select rulers who make laws by majority vote among themselves, but the rulers cannot make any laws they please because the Constitution severely restricts their lawmaking power. The ideal of a democracy is universal equality. The ideal of a constitutional republic is individual liberty. Subversion of language. In this century, great strides have been made toward the goal of subverting our republic and transforming it into a democracy. One tactic of the subverters is subversion of language. By calling the United States a democracy until people thoughtlessly accept and use the term, totalitarians have obscured the real meaning of our principles of government. The following passages from an article written by C.L. Sulzberger were distributed by the New York Times News Service on March 3rd of 1966. It said, quote, Not only in the United States, but in other leading democracies, recent years have seen perceptible growth in executive authority. A French intellectual contends in the book The Coming Caesars, that as society becomes more equalitarian, it tends increasingly to concentrate absolute power in the hands of one single man. The Dan Smoot Report was published weekly by the Dan Smoot Report Incorporated out of Dallas, Texas. That was copyright 1966. Some of Mr. Smoot's other writings included the quote, Caesarism is not brutal seizure of power through revolution. It is not based on a specific doctrine or philosophy. It is essentially pragmatic and untheoretical. It is a slow, often century-old, unconscious development that ends in a voluntary surrender of a free people escaping from freedom to one autocratic master. Can you say Hussein Obama? Biden? Soros? There's another passage that says, We are escaping from freedom into one autocratic master, trading our liberty for the promise of equality, but the operation is not an unconscious development. Another quote here says it is from page 9 of Gunnar Myrdal's American Dilemma. Quote, In society, liberty for one may mean the suppression of liberty for others. In America, liberty is often provided an opportunity for the stronger to rob the weaker. Against this, the equalitarianism in the American creed has been persistently revolting. The struggle is far from ended. The reason why American liberty was not more dangerous to equality in the early days of the nation was, of course, the open frontier, the free land, when opportunity became bounded 
in the last generation, the inherent conflict between equality and liberty flared up, and equality, unfortunately, is slowly winning. Later in that publication, it says, in America, conservatism has, to a great extent, been perverted into a nearly fetishistic cult of the Constitution. This is unfortunate, since the Constitution, in so many respects, is impractical and ill-suited for modern conditions, and since, furthermore, the drafters of the document made it technically difficult to change, even when there were no popular feelings against change. Gunnar Myrdal was a Swedish socialist. He was hired by the Carnegie Corporation of, of New York way back in 1937 to direct a study of the Negro in the United States. Myrdal arrived in this country in 1938, engaged a huge staff, many communists and pro-communists, and he began his work to destroy the United States of America as we know it by saying things like, equality and equity are more important than liberty and freedom for the masses. I hope you've learned a little bit of something today on this edition of the Truth Hurts program for December 27th, 2023. I also hope you enjoyed our eight individual 30-minute commercial parody episodes, which are available on the podcasting platform. Go out there and make it a great day, and we'll see you next time on the Truth Hurts program. Bringing in the new year like no other. Happy New Year! Steve C. and the Truth Hurts Program. Copyright 2023, the Truth Hurts Program Network, all rights reserved. This program is pre-recorded. Thank you for listening. Copyright 2024, the Truth Hurts Program Network, all rights reserved. Background music, Jason Shaw and Audionautics.